All right, and welcome to episode four of the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, and today we go back in time to September 25, 1995, to look at the Raw and Nitro episodes from that Monday evening. A very brief rundown of the time in professional wrestling, this was considered the first true head-to-head battle of Raw and Nitro, meaning they were on at the same time, and in the ratings war, Raw fell just short, uh, getting a 2.2 to Nitro's 2.3. At this time in the WWF, Yokozuna and Owen Hart were the tag team champions, Shawn Michaels was the Intercontinental Champion, and Diesel was the World Wrestling Federation Champion. Over on the WCW side of the fence, Hulk Hogan was the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, Sting was the United States Champion, the American Males were the Tag Team Champions, and Diamond Dallas Page was the Television Champion. And in other WCW news, in what in hindsight turned out to be a reasonably poor decision, uh, Eric Bischoff fired Stone Cold Steve Austin, or the man that would become Stone Cold Steve Austin in This Week in WCW famously letting him go via telephone. Uh, As the story goes, speaking to Stone Cold's wife at the time, I've been unable to confirm whether or not Stone Cold was in the other room shouting, What? So without any further ado, Jack Tunney has flipped his coin, and this week we get Raw first. So, to present to you the show running on diesel power... September 25th episode of Raw comes to us from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it opens up with a recap of the previous night's main event. You might recall from previous episodes, this was a triple header, where Yokozuna and Owen Hart would defend their tag team titles against Shawn Michaels and Diesel, uh, with the winner taking the gold. If Shawn Michaels was pinned, whoever pinned him would take his Intercontinental title. Same applies to Diesel, whereas if Yoko or Owen were pinned, the two dudes with attitude would be the two chaps with all the straps. Um... At the pay-per-view itself, they played an angle where Owen Hart wasn't there, so the British Bulldog was allowed to substitute for him, and then, as a result, when Diesel and Michaels won the belts, uh, they essentially won it without Owen Hart being involved in the match. He did come out to interfere later on. And because of this, our opening angle from Raw is a boardroom meeting from the morning prior, uh, the morning of Raw, sorry, with Gorilla Monsoon, the president of the WWF, meeting with Jim Cornette and a debuting Clarence Mason. For those of you not in the know, Clarence Mason played a lawyer character in the WWF in the mid-90s. Um, the recap here shows us that Clarence Mason has successfully had the decision from the previous night overturned on a technicality due to the British Bulldog not being eligible to be in the match since he didn't actually hold a title. And the titles, the tag team titles will be returned to Owen Hart and Yokozuna. Gorilla Monsoon does, however, state that a match they had signed for tonight against the Smoking Guns would now be a title match. Uh, Jim Cornette isn't happy with this, but Clarence Mason seems to accept that's part of the negotiating. 
From there, we go to our commentary team, which once again is Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler, and they tell us we're about to open with a singles match. Out comes Skip with Sonny, who is looking mighty hot at this stage, to face, we're told, a returning Marty Jannetty. Not quite sure what number of returns we're up to, but they hyped it pretty well on commentary. As Marty makes his entrance to that classic Rockers theme, Vince and Jerry Lawler hype the tag match for this evening on pay-per-view, sorry, for the main event, and also hype the pay-per-view situation from the night before. Um, as they go to lock up in the ring, we get a decent Marty chant, Marty chant even. Vince says that everybody remembers him as a partner of the one and only Shawn Michaels. Way to put him over on his return, Vince. Early on in the match, we get a decent drop kick from Marty Jannetty and Skip takes a powder to the outside, going out to give Sonny a cuddle, which I imagine would be much better than being kicked in the face by Marty Jannetty. Marty's getting a really good reaction at this point in the match, but I do notice that he didn't actually take his tank top, tank top off when coming into the ring, which is a bit strange. Uh, maybe he hadn't kept himself quite in ring shape, though you wouldn't tell by the action. It is quite fast paced, there's a lot of reversals and a big back body drop from Marty, which sends Skip to the outside once again. From there, we get a really cool spot where Marty uh, gives Skip a slap on the outside, sneaks up behind Sunny and gives her a hug. When he lets go, Sunny, quite mad, rears back to slap him, but he ducks and Sunny adds another slap to Skip's count for the night. This sends the crowd into a real frenzy and they are getting quite behind Marty Jannetty here, which was good to see on his return. We get back in the ring and Sonny interferes, tripping Marty, which leads to a bit of offense from Skip here with a really nice gut wrench suplex, an impressive powerbomb, and a really good snap suplex the Dynamite Kid would have been proud of. The camera shows us that Dean Douglas is once again in the aisle marking. Vince tells us that the night before at the pay-per-view, he beat Razor Ramon thanks to the 1-2-3 kid and hypes that situation. Skip stays on offense for a little while. Uh, the highlight of this is the huge clothesline sell from Marty Giannini. If you've not seen it before, I suggest you watch a few of his matches, uh, similar to what Rikishi would do in, in later years, but probably a little bit smoother due to the size difference. From there, Marty Giannini does manage to reverse a German suplex uh, with a German suplex of his own onto Skip and reverses a Hurricane Rana into a big powerbomb. Uh, shout out to many video game uh, reversals for later years. Skip begs off as Marty Giannini fires up, shaking the ropes like the Ultimate Warrior before hitting his huge back elbow that he and Shawn Michaels were both famous for. The action continues and Marty Giannini backdrops Skip over the ropes to the outside. Uh, in trying to bring him back in, when he goes for the suplex, Sonny and Skip go for the uh, WrestleMania 5 spot where Bobby the Brain Heenan and Rick Rude managed to block the Ultimate Warrior's suplex and Heenan held down his legs while Rude pinned him. They attempt this here but Marty does manage to kick out. Doesn't take too long from there for Marty to get back on the offense and he hits the rocker dropper followed by a uh, fist drop from the top rope and gets the one, two, three in a really good opener. Just a very quick match with a hot crowd, really recipe for success when it comes to an opening bout. We get another recap of Clarence Mason really sticking it to Gorilla Monsoon, um, and they explain to us that Owen and Yokozuna will be defending the tag titles against the Smoking Guns. As we come back from a commercial, Owen Hart and Yokozuna are in the ring, but it's not quite the jobber entrance because their music was playing, so they'd obviously just walked out. Doc Hendricks is in the aisle with some random girl wearing a t-shirt of the pay-per-view from the night before, the triple header shirt. He tells us it's got all four of the competitors from the match on the shirt, and now they're selling it at the cut price of just twelve. $20. No idea what it sold for the night before. They also tell us that if you buy it, you'll get a free classic WWF tape. They don't say anything that's on it, and it doesn't have a cover. It looks like a blank tape taken out of my cupboard in 1997, uh, but who's to say whether it was quality or not? If you have that tape, please get in touch. Into the ring, and the first move of the match is a crisscross, so as you can probably guess, Yokozuna did not start the match. It's Bart Gunn and Owen Hart, who are off to a quick start. 
Vince gets a weird line on commentary where he says, thinking about last night, Yokozuna, and well, Yokozuna and the British Bulldog, generally speaking. I have no clue what that's supposed to mean, um, generally speaking. No, it was definitely them. We watched it. We get Billy Gunn into the ring here, and the guns are in control before Owen does manage to tag out and get in Yokozuna, and I notice that he is much, much bigger than he was. Even just two years prior, he's really stacked on the weight. Shawn Michaels reference number five for the night, I'm guessing by now, as the two dudes with attitude are shown backstage watching on a monitor. This show is really filled with Shawn and to a similar extent Diesel, but the comment in the first match comparing Marty to Shawn really started off the trend that I noticed. Billy's trying to get Yokozuna down in the ring, he hits two big drop kicks and finally he charges the ropes and hits a pretty decent bulldog on Yokozuna to take him down uh, before Yoko gets back up on offense with a huge Samoan drop and Billy runs... Billy rolls to the outside. On the outside, he doesn't fare much better with Owen Hart giving him a bit of a kicking before getting him back in the ring and tagging in himself and hitting that classic Owen Hart and Zaguri we all love to see. As they are getting back into the ring, I did notice that the crowd above the ringside area was blacked out, so I'm guessing they sold the bottom tier of seats here, uh, but nothing up in the top tiers. Owen Hart lands a good neck breaker and a crossbody before getting Yokozuna back into the match, and then we get a bit of a double team in the corner, Yoko and Owen double teaming on Billy, and it's at this point in the match that I notice that Yokozuna has a horrendous neck beard. Um, way ahead of his time really he belongs eating chips in front of a computer at 3am in 2016 the insults don't stop with future me recording this podcast either as vince assures as yokozuna is not looking for a sandwich but he's looking for an entire buffet they start hyping a wrestlemania special which was to be aired that week i'm not quite sure what that was obviously wrestlemania was much uh, many months prior in 1995 if anyone has any idea what the wrestlemania special was let me know on a side note, they they played a WrestleMania special here where I live in Brisbane uh, after WrestleMania 14, around this time in 1998, so late in the year, and it was just basically a one-hour recap of the show giving chopped-down versions of The Undertaker, Kane match, The Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin match, and I believe The Rock and Ken Shabrock match from memory as well. And that was really cool to see on free-to-air TV because we didn't have pay TV at that point. We then get a pretty funny sequence as Yokozuna is beating on Billy Gunn but misses a huge elbow drop. Billy has a chance to tag out, but instead goes for a huge leg drop, which he misses. Then Yoko has a chance to tag out, but instead goes for a big splash, which he also misses. They both tag out, and the hot tag to Bart, who comes in and cleans house with a huge clothesline, a backdrop, and a really good press slam on Owen as well. The guns get Owen up for their finisher, which is that sort of backbreaker, leg drop off the top rope type move. Um, they get Owen down, Yoko comes in to break up the pin, goes for a big splash, but the gun rolls out the way. Owen Hart wears the brunt of the splash, and then they pin Owen Hart for the 1-2-3 new tag team champions, and I was quite shocked. I didn't see this finish coming at all, and out to steal their spotlight before I can finish explaining the ending to the match. The two dudes with attitude whose new best friends, the guns, now need high fives and congratulations. This was another good match, but the ending really made it. The crowd had no idea this was going to happen. We're quite surprised, and they got a really good pop at the end. I love a good shock title change. I'm raw myself. We then get a strange ad for next week, which is um, it's a really weird wanted for robbery type ad, like with some old Western music over it. And they're obviously talking about Jean-Pierre Lafitte, who had been stealing things left, right, and center. And they advertise a rematch between him and Brett, which they talked up as being a good match from the pay-per-view. We also are told that the Kid and Razor will meet one more time on Raw uh, for their third battle on the show, which I thought was really cool, and another thing that would make me want to carry on down this timeline. Doc Hendricks then interviews Gorilla Monsoon in the aisleway, 
and he tells us that we will see at the next In Your House a debut of Goldust, cool. Mabel versus The Undertaker, not so cool. And the British Bulldog versus Diesel for the title, which um, I don't remember this match. I, I remember the match. I don't remember whether it was any good or not, so I am looking forward to seeing that. But I have a little voice in the back of my head that says this might be the match where Vince throws down his headset and says horrible. Really hope I'm wrong coming into that pay-per-view. We're also told at that upcoming pay-per-view, Bret Hart will be there to sign a contract to face whoever is a WWF champion at the Survivor Series the month after. Um, we're also told that Shawn Michaels will defend his Intercontinental Championship against Dean Douglas, which makes me wonder if this is around the time period where he gets beaten up by 116 Marines in Syracuse. I'm not sure, but uh, another nagging little memory in the back of my head says we're coming close. Uh, the British Bulldog enters for his match as they're still talking in the aisleway, which was another little strange thing, but I guess with an hour show, you've got time constraints to work with. The entrance of the British Bulldog does, of course, signal it's time for our main event. Um, he's going up against The Undertaker, who comes out next with Paul Bearer to a pretty good pop as well. The match gets started with a good back and forth early on, before that classic old-school Undertaker clothesline where he springs off the, off the ropes and just jumps and leaps into the air. Speaking of old school, he goes for just that, um, before it was really that old school, um, but while he's up there, Cornette shakes on the ropes, and this allows a distraction while the British Bulldog gives him a huge arm drag off the top rope. Really cool. He doesn't stay down for long though, as in mid-90s Undertaker fashion, he pops right up and manages to score with a huge big boot on the British Bulldog. And I do notice while this is happening, the Undertaker seems to be now adding pretty extensively to his tattoo collection. I always wondered roughly around what time they all came in. I noticed probably a year or two prior to this he started to get them. The action spills to the outside of the ring and the British Bulldog hits a decent chop block before sending the Undertaker into the steel steps who always took the bump really cool knees first. We see men on a mission are in the crowd watching, I'm guessing due to the upcoming Mabel Undertaker match, but I do wonder why Mo was not only holding Mabel's crown but had a mini crown of his own on. Um, I don't think they got married. Uh, before we get back to the action, we also notice that Waylon Mercy is watching from the crowd. What the heck? Uh, not sure if he's going to appear too much on the podcast, but I am excited to see. Uh, I have no memories of him whatsoever, but he does seem to pop up in a lot of things wrestling related when you're watching. You know, mostly on the internet and stuff. Obviously, he's not in too many highlights packages for WrestleMania. When we do finally get the camera back into the ring, the British Bulldog continues to work over the Undertaker's leg before going for his uh, huge power slam, which was reversed. Undertaker slips over the back and hits a decent back suplex, and while they're both on the mat, the crowd breaks out in a really big rest in peace champ. When they get back up, the Undertaker does manage to hit old school, um, but not too long after that, the British Bulldog fires back with a really big pile driver. He gets a two count, and then the Undertaker pops up again. Bulldog hits a decent vertical suplex on the Undertaker, gets a two count, and sits up. Gets up, hits another vertical suplex, gets a two count, and the Undertaker sits up. Uh, just pretty much a repeat of the exact same spot uh, before he ends up finding himself in a choke slam from the Undertaker, which was a decent height on that as well. After the choke slam, though, we get a little bit of an awkward spot where, obviously, waiting for Mabel to make the run in and cause the disqualification, the Undertaker just stands over the British Bulldog who's on the mat, not attempting to go for a pin or anything, sort of selling while stood up. Uh, if you imagine waiting for the fatality of Mortal Kombat, you've got the idea. Finish him. When Mabel finally does make it to the ring, he hits a pretty huge belly-to-belly -belly suplex on The Undertaker, obviously causing the disqualification. And then the British Bulldog hits his power slam, and Mabel hits two nasty-looking leg drops. 
on the undertaker these leg drops of course later on would cause the eye socket injury to the undertaker forcing him into the phantom of the opera mask but before any further damage can be done on this night the two dudes without a tutor in to make the save this brings out owen hart and yoko zuna and then that in turn brings out the smoking guns in what was one of the strangest things i've ever seen on raw they sell that the guns had just come straight from the showers and um, i don't notice it at first but when the camera pans back to them they have no shirts on they're still wearing their jeans and socks but no boots and they get a tight shot of Billy Gunn lathered up in soap. It just looks something out of a really uncomfortable jailhouse scene in a movie to me. We go to the final commercial break of the night as they're still hyping this WrestleMania special that I'm chasing up a copy of. Um, it was a decent match, this, but the ending really sucked. Um, I'm never a big fan of disqualification endings, but they don't bother me as much as they do uh, some people. Uh, the other thing with the ending was, though, it wasn't done well. So if Mabel was going to jump in and stop Undertaker getting the win, he shouldn't have Undertaker. Undertaker stood there looking like an idiot for 15 seconds beforehand. When we do come back from commercial, we get a bit of a strange shot when they're all, all the faces are in the ring, and you just see Shawn Michaels shaking hands with Paul Bearer, which I found disturbing. I tell a lie, thinking that was the final ad break of the night uh, previously, because we do get one more ad break, which seemed to come in rapid fashion here. I'm guessing they managed to keep the action in and go to the commercials afterwards, leading to one being left over. But when we come back from this commercial break, we have Shawn Michaels' music playing and the two dudes with Attitude entering the ring. Really strange, because they'd been stood in the ring prior to the last commercial break. Vincent Lawler give us another recap of the Razor Ramon, Shawn, uh, Razor Ramon, Dean Douglas ending from the pay-per-view and the kid Razor pull apart that took part after the match. When we flash back to live footage, we see Shawn Michaels throwing a t-shirt to Vince, who gives him his best Vince. Thanks, pal. Really strange ending to the show is we've just really got Sean and Diesel stood around in the ring hamming it up with their music playing. Um, it bothered me here that they seemed to hog the whole show. I've always been a huge Shawn Michaels fan, and I know he's, he's had a bad reputation in the 90s, but I've never seen as blatant of an example as two people hogging the show, certainly not since the Hulkamania days anyway. With all that being said about Monday Night Raw, we run upstairs, we check the VCR to make sure Nitro taped on the other channel, and we head over the road to check out what WCW had on offer. Nitro comes to us from Florence, South Carolina. The commentary team are Eric Bischoff, Steve Mongo, McMichael, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Bobby notes this week that Pepe looks like a horse, uh, but instead of looking like a horse, he, Bobby says that he looks more like a four-pound tarantula or a rat. We go to our opening contest, which is Alex Wright up against the debuting Disco Inferno. Uh, we go to the stage, and we notice it is a really cool-looking stage, this early WCW Nitro set. Out comes Alex Wright uh, to a decent pop with some good pyro going off as well. Meanwhile, on commentary, Eric Bischoff hypes that we will hear from Hulk Hogan after this match, which is really smart considering that Raw is on at the same time at this point. Uh, from there, we have the entrance of the Disco Inferno, and the first thing I notice is Jesus, that music. Eric hates the theme, but Bobby Heenan praises it on commentary, of course. Uh, before the bell rings, Disco jumps Alex Wright, and we get a toss out of the ring, followed by a Disco Inferno dancing. 
Um, Alex Wright comes back into the ring with a springboard drop kick, which he botches a little bit, but does, does still manage to land it, then hits a really big spin kick. Disco's out the ring, and Alex Wright follows, follows up with a huge leaping plancha. It looked really cool. Back in the ring, and Disco manages to get back into control, dropping Alex Wright neck first on the top rope. But while he's in control, he goes to the top rope at an absolute snail's pace, allowing Alex Wright to get up and drop kick him off the ropes. A little back and forth ensues, and Disco attempts to go for a neck breaker, which Alex Wright reverses into a cool looking backslide for the one two three in a reasonably quick match that wasn't offensive i didn't mind it surprisingly Coming back from the commercial break, we have Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Hart in a pre-tape promo. Hulk Hogan's wearing a neck brace due to the angle from the pay-per-view, um, but he does mention that he hasn't missed a workout um, while he is pumping weights when we come into the shot as well, which I find really strange. I don't think that's going to help him heal. And he says that when the giant twisted his ne- neck, he heard it snap, crackle, and pop, which is kind of ironic because his tan at the moment looks a similar color to a Rice Krispie treat. The promo continues, and oh my goodness gracious, he challenges the giant to a monster truck match, saying, I'm going to go and get built a bigger, meaner monster truck. He sounds like a moron. Uh, He then says if he can survive the monster truck battle, where he's going to pull his truck around with his truck, which just kinds of sound sounds more like the giant's broken down and he's giving him a toe but what the hell um he says then you can have a title match and in a really tasteless line from hogan he tells the giant that he's going to lay him down to rest next to his father when he beats him in detroit right next to where i beat your dad that for me earns hogan the dick move of the week what an asshole and it really takes some doing to beat out the 115 mentions of Shawn michaels on raw so really disappointed in that Coming back into the ring, and we've got Mean Gene recapping the angle from last week with Lex Luger and the Macho Man. And then we have a bit of a confrontation between Lex and Savage. Lex challenges Macho for next week, and he says he'll put his future title shot against Hulk on the line. He also says that if Savage beats him, he'll leave WCW. Um, They don't shake hands to accept, but when Savage sticks his hand out, I do notice his arms are huge. Pretty obvious which of the two companies was indicted for steroids and which one got off scot-free. Allegedly. The next match on Nitro is Kurosawa up against, uh, sorry, with Colonel Parker up against Sergeant Craig Pittman. Kurosawa up against Colonel Parker might have been a better match, actually. We start the match with Pittman with some leaping headbutts to the gut on Kurosawa. And he does that um, lifting armbar, which if you ever played the SmackDown vs. Raw video game series, The Undertaker always seemed to have, despite the fact that I probably only ever saw him do it once in real life. Mongo tells us that he heard the arm snap, crackle, and pop. And I'm guessing he was watching the Hogan promo and got hungry for some Rice Krispie treats himself. On the outside, Kurosawa hits a backdrop and a slam onto the concrete before heading back into the ring and hitting a pretty cool-looking judo throw. Um, But then Pitbull manages to backdrop him over the ropes. Um, Eric Bischoff says that maybe the referee thinks this was accidental. So I'm guessing the whole um, throw your opponent over the top rope is a disqualification thing is still happening in 1995. Another thing you learn watching these shows. The Pitbull hits a decent belly-to-belly suplex and then goes into an armbar, which the commentators call the Code Red, uh, before transitioning it out and hitting a reverse gut wrench. Uh, But then Kurosawa hits a big German suplex and gets a 1-2-3. Bit of an odd finish, and Craig Pittman didn't seem to be up to much for me. Uh, But as they pan the crowd, I do notice that it's a really big-looking crowd. Well, it looks to be a sellout to me. When we come back from commercial, we've got Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman in the ring with Mean Gene Oakland. Arn Anderson sporting a gold chain with a cross and a green sports coat over black jeans, kind of looking like your granddad would if he tried to dress up as the Backstreet Boys. 
Brian Pillman, of course, isn't wearing anything noteworthy other than the wrestling tradition fanny pack, which did make me giggle a little bit. Arne says that Flair can't find a partner to face the two of them, uh, suggesting Savage and Sting had both turned him down. The ad for this week's WCW Saturday Night suggests we'll see Sting versus Johnny B. Bad, Dusty Rhodes to become the co-host, the American Males in action, the Giant and Kevin Sullivan in action, and we get a recap of the cool Baywatch angle with Kevin Sullivan and the Macho Man. Um, and just going to the transition, I mentioned again, the WCW steel signs of the stage looked really cool. Um, kind of like the steel steps made in the WCW logo. It's pretty awesome. The next match on the show is the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan up against the Macho Man Randy Savage. Before the match can get underway, Brutus Beefcake, sorry, the Zodiac appears and makes a cheap attack on Savage. Brutus Beefcake, I can't get over how much of an idiot he looked like. Um, this does remind me of a really funny story. Well, to me, you probably won't laugh. Um, where I was out for dinner with my wife and a couple of friends of ours, and we were driving home. It was a bit of a long drive, and me and my friend were in the front seat, my wife and his partner in the back seat. And we just started a discussion about the naming of Brutus Beefcake by his mother and father in the hospital. Um, once we dis decided that Mr. and Mrs. Beefcake were going to name their child Brutus, we couldn't no longer control our laughter and damn near crashed the car. Uh, partners in the back didn't think it was funny at all. In fact, they probably were thinking about jumping out and running at that point. Savage manages to get back in the ring and is under control with the Taskmaster before the Zodiac jumps back in. Savage manages to put him back down like the bitch he is before stupidly tossing the referee and earning himself a disqualification. Savage slams Sullivan on top of the Zodiac before going up top rope for his famous elbow. As he flies off, Sullivan moves and he hits just the Zodiac, which is fine by me. Uh, this brings out the Giant, who hits a decent choke slam on Macho. A couple of jobbers run out to make the save. I assume they're jobbers. I don't know who they were. They both ate choke slams off the Giant before Alex Wright tried to come out. Comes off the top rope. Uh, giant catches him in a bear hug and then just sort of slams him forward, a bit like a spine buster. Next, Luke is coming down the entranceway. Before he gets there, Giant manages another choke slam on Macho Man. Uh, Lex kind of gets in the ring, looks at Kevin Sullivan, looks at Giant, nothing happens, and then he leans over Macho Man before Giant grabs a hold of Lex and gives him a choke slam, which seems to upset Kev Kevin Sullivan, who gives a Giant a bit of a telling off, and then they leave. Uh, we get a Halloween Havoc ad featuring Hulk Hogan and a lot of clips of him beating up Vader. I mentioned in a previous episode that they seem to be mentioning him going AWOL, and I'm guessing they're just turning the knife now, knowing where he'll probably end up. After the commercial, Lex Luger is still in the ring selling, and it's time for his main event match against Meng, who pegs it down to the ring to get the early start on a downed Lex, and really starts hammering away. They mentioned on commentary Hulk Hogan will be here next week, which is another good touch for ratings. It's going to help. Um, and Meng is continuing the beat down on Lex. Hits a huge pile driver, which only gets a two. Goes to his trademark chops, and then his trademark nerve hold. Lex attempts a comeback, but he's cut off by Meng, who hits a decent gut wrench backbreaker before going into a really long chin lock. He hits a Samoan drop and then goes up to the top for a flying nothing, which is countered with a Lex Luger face buster, just sort of sidesteps and pushes him into the mat. But he couldn't have been going for a splash because Lex was stood up, so who knows? Um, we get some chops backwards and forwards and a really shouty Lex Luger going nuts with his screaming um, and then laying in the boots. But while Meng's in the corner, he pulls out a spike. Gets a cheap shot on Lex without the referee seeing and picks up the 1-2-3 for the win. Uh, another nothing match. Um, nothing to write home about. 
It was reasonably short, but two rest holds in a match this short brought it down a little bit as well. We're signing out with some words from the commentary. Um, Heenan says a, a line that piqued my ears a little bit. For Luger to say that he left the WWF to play with the big boys, and now if he loses to Savage, he, he's got to leave the WCW. Uh, they also hype up next week. We'll see Hulk Hogan, the American Males, the Nasty Boys, Dean Malenko, and Lex Luger vs. Macho Man, which I presume will be the main event. So with both both shows recap now, we go to the five-point scoring system to pick ourselves a winner. So we start with the first category of match quality, and for me, WWF wins this one hands down. Only having three matches on the show, all involving name talent, really helped. Skip and a returning Marty Jannetty was a decent little contest, really the epitome of an opening bout for me. The tag title match wasn't great, but it was good, and it had a really good ending that popped the crowd. And then the Bulldog Undertaker match was getting somewhere too short and a poor finish, um, but having two really big stars helped prop it up. Nothing horrible on on Raw anyway. On the WCW side of things, the Disco Alex Wright opener wasn't as good as the opener in the WWF. Um, The Kurosawa Sergeant Pitbull Pitman match was pretty poor, if I'm being honest. And the Savage Taskmaster match was nothing with with a DQ coming pretty quick. And the Lex Meng match was also nothing because of the pre-match beatdown and the cheap finish for Meng, giving a pretty clear win to Raw on this night. Uh, presentation slash, pr- slash production goes to WCW, which is probably going to be a bit of a reoccurring theme on these early Nitros. It just looked better than Raw, and they also managed to have more people in the building, which was a good look when panning the crowd. The storylines was a tough one because the Hogan Giant one was so god-awful, I wanted to give it to the WWF. But when I had a real think about it, they only really highlighted one storyline other than recaps on the show, and that was the... N- Diesel, Michaels, Yokozuna, Owen Hart storyline. And to be honest, they overexposed the babyfaces massively and it turned me off a little bit. Whereas in WCW, Lex Luger and the Macho Man's angle picked up some steam and a decent promo from Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman kept the rivalry with Flair going strong. Um, we also had the Dungeon of Doom still keeping their noses in everything as well, which, you know, not my cup of tea, but it did progress storylines there. Crowd heat, I went to the WWF, even though it was a smaller crowd, they were given more to sink their teeth into, and that showed um, huge pops for a returning Marty Jannetty. Um, the Smoking Guns tag title match got a good pop, and so did The Undertaker coming out as well. So really, I thought that was where the crowd was more into it. WCW just didn't give their guys anything to really get stuck into. Leaving the final category of the characters for the night to help determine the winner. And for this one, I went to the WWF. Simply not having anyone I didn't know on the show really helped them here. Um, the two dudes were all over it. Uh, the introduction of Clarence Mason, Yokozuna and Owen Hart were featured. Um, Marty Jannetty returning was cool. I was always a Rockers fan, personally. Undertaker and the British Bulldog, two big characters as well. So, you know, some really good characters on there. Whereas in WCW, Alex Wright's fairly new. He's done well so far, but to put him against another new guy in Disco Inferno left something to be desired. Kevin Sullivan and the Zodiac don't belong anywhere near wrestling in the mid-90s. And um, Sergeant Pitbull Pit. that's that's a tongue twister if there ever was one on this show Um, didn't really do anything for me at all Lex and Meng as the main event also whilst both strong characters neither can carry a good match or a good segment on their own needed a bit, bit of help rather than each other 
So if you haven't figured it out by now, that gives us our winner of Raw for September 25th, 1995. So despite what the ratings said, giving Nitro a bit of a, a win there, a close one, I went the other way and believe you would have been better investing your time watching Raw. Now, speaking of Raw, I started Raw before I was recording this podcast, saw the debut of Finn Balor. Um, this will probably take a day or two to go up, so I shouldn't be spoiling that for anyone. Um, I thought that was quite cool. I didn't get to watch it all because I had to duck out to football training, but it occurred to me on the drive over that I can actually watch the Raw and the Nitro I watch for this show, then record the show in less time than it takes to watch Raw these days. I know it's a pretty common complaint of Raw, the length of it, but that astounded me to think about it in those terms. Battleground last night was a decent show. I won't waste your time going over recaps because you can find current reviews and recaps anywhere if you go looking for them. But I did particularly enjoy Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, two favourites of mine at the moment. My four-year-old daughter, of course, loved the debut of Bailey before I told her it was bedtime and we got down to the serious business. Not that I think she fancied staying up for Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn anyway. And the last couple of little tidbits before we close out the show. Um, if you're listening to this show, chances are you're already listening to Raw Attitude Podcast and New Blood Rising Podcast. But if you haven't checked out this week's episodes of both of those yet, you definitely should do. And not just because they both give me a glowing review that got me nice and choked up either. Um, both two really good quality shows with New Blood going over the No Way Out 2002 pay-per-view leading into WrestleMania X8, and Raw Attitude giving me a brilliant water maneuver montage for Vince McMahon. It's well worth checking out for that alone. The final note of the show, just a shout-out to RoidRage87 for giving us a five-star review on iTunes. I contacted him and told him that he could have a pick of shows coming up for doing so, and he has selected Bash of the Beach 2000 up against Fully Loaded 2000, quick look ahead to those shows tells me that Bash of the Beach is where a big controversy between Hulk Hogan and Vince Russo goes down that I've never watched so that'll be interesting and Fully Loaded 2000 is one of my all-time favorite pay-per-views probably in the top 20 um just everything was hot going into that show so look out for that in the next couple of episodes That'll do it for us. Check me out on iTunes or SoundCloud if you can. And feel free to get in touch with Twitter. Uh, still a reasonably small group uh, talking about the show. So always welcome any feedback. Thank you very much and see you next time.